the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to another episode of Sideline Sanity with me, Michelle Tafoya. Hit that subscribe button if you would. Give us a rating if you want, but subscribe. We've got so much good content coming down the pike, including today. David Marcus, a writer that I really enjoy following. We've had him on once before, but today he's coming on to talk about something we all need to really pay attention to. Did you hear about the recent poll that found Americans, only about 15% of Americans have a favorable view of China? And frankly, I'm confused about who those 15% might be. Maybe they are Chinese Americans. I don't know. But China is a threat. China is playing footsie with Russia, Iran, and North Korea. China doesn't like us. China steals our intellectual properties. They uh, have TikTok <laughs> here really well embedded in our society, taking the minds of our kids off things they need to be focused on. And let's not forget a little thing called COVID, right? So as much as you may want to say, oh, that's xenophobic. Oh, that's racist. No, this is reality. China is a country with very different values from ours, and they don't like us. And if we get weak in the knees here and don't straighten our spine, we could be in trouble. And that's what David Marcus writes about in this column. And he joins us next. For nearly three decades, she's reported the action from the sidelines. She started very young. She's covered the NBA, NFL, Olympics, and the college football and basketball national championships. And now, during these insane times in our world, Michelle Tafoya thinks we need a serious dose of sanity. This is Sideline Sanity with your host, one of the sanest people on planet Earth, Michelle Tafoya. Hey, good to see you again, David. This article in Human Events, it's its so worth the read. It's fascinating, but I, I want to cut to one part of it that I find important. You, you kind of talk about the end of the Cold War and how we experience this rush or push toward globalization, but that we might be on the brink of another Cold War right now here in the West. What do you mean by that? Yeah. So, I, I mean, at the point at which the Cold War ended, psychologically for Americans, the most important aspect of that was that there really was no other power or even really set of powers on Earth that could defeat the United States and the West. Right. So we were set up as a solo superpower, brand new dynamic. And this only a decade after, you know, people were ducking under you know school desks in, in fear of nuclear annihilation. I right? did that. Yeah. <clears throat> so. This was a, a complete sea change um, in terms of being essentially unbeatable, right? I mean, Rocky had knocked out Drago and, <laughs> and we were on the way um, to the future. Uh, we, we face a threat today in China um, that probably can beat us if, if, if we don't do what we need to do. Uh, and, and that's new. And we see a lot of dynamics of the Cold War coming back, including 
essentially a proxy war going on in Ukraine where Russia is the ally of China and Ukraine is our ally. Um, we see a military buildup in China just today. Joe Biden is announcing a new submarine deal between the UK, the United States and Australia, which is clearly very close to China. So a lot of these things are lining up in ways that people of a, a certain advanced age um, can remember. And, and those who are younger probably don't. And so to the point of your article in Human Events, was: were you hoping to get to some of those younger people to get them to open their eyes and see what's going on? Yeah, a, a little bit, um, to, you know, to understand that there is such a thing, again, as an existential threat and to remind all of us, I mean, whether we remember it or not, that if there is a silver lining to this, it's that an existential threat brings people in a country or really any environment together, unlike anything else. And I think to some degree, because we spent the better part of 25 or 30 years without an existential external threat, we invented a whole bunch of internal threats and kind of pointed our ire at each other yeah. um, in, in ways that haven't been particularly healthy. In, in many to me, the last existential threat was 9-11. I mean, I think that's a, a moment in time that so many of us can remember. I, I, I tried to explain it to my kids. I remember my dad used to try to explain Pearl Harbor to me, you know, and I was like, but that was so long ago. And now it feels that way when you try to explain to young people what 9-11 was all about. And, and we did come together as a country, but that was very short lived. And you're right now, we're in this internal battle of identity politics. And you've written a lot about DEI as well, diversity, equity and inclusion. So um, are we so distracted by that, that we're not going to be able to see this? Or do you think there are enough eyes in the halls of power, if you will, to, to, to handle this? I mean, I, I hope not, right? One thing that I'll say about 9-11, and I touch on 9-11 in, in the piece, 9-11 um, was certainly a wake-up call after the happy-go-lucky 90s. There's mm -hmm. no doubt about that. But nobody thought that Al-Qaeda was going to take over the United States, right? right? right. It, it wasn't an existential threat. It was a threat to our lives. It was a threat to, it was probably an existential threat to Israel, right? Not to the United States, not, not to the West as we know it. And that's what I think we're sort of creeping back into. You know, I saw polling today that put favorability of China at 15% among Americans. And apparently that was a 38 point drop in just like five years, right? Yeah. So this is bipartisan. This is people on the left and on the right uh, who, for various different reasons, are coming to understand uh, that this is a problem. And, and I, I, I do hope that it's going to refocus our energy a, a little more um, to the outside and a little less towards, you know, poking at each other in, in, in you know, what you and I think are ridiculous ways. And I don't want to demean what anybody thinks about, you know, racism and sexuality and gender but you know compared to what china's doing it's it's just not as important it's it's not and it's not as important on on a sort of a mass scale like you know look you be you you do you respect one another etc cetera, etc cetera. hi everyone if you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault listen up we have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-702-5400. 
I'm here with spokesman John Wolf. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-702-5400. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-702-5400. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. But we have this other very hostile entity with great power, and we are entangled with China in ways that make us vulnerable, not just in terms of, you know, if there's a war, but I, I can remember during COVID the the sort of threats that, well, you know what, if we have to stop shipping antibiotics to the United States, that'd be really tough, but we're willing to do that. You know, I'm not sure who authored that or who who would be able to pull the trigger on that, but I don't doubt that they would do it. Um, so, so in terms of opening people's eyes, what what's the first thing every individual should be doing? And by the way, hang on, I got to go back to what you said. Who are the fifteen percent that think well of China? I mean, look, we had something like that during the Cold War. There, there was a there was a certain there was a small amount of Americans who thought that you know the Soviet Union was sort of on the right side of this. It was probably a little smaller than fifteen percent, but close. I think you know that th- that certainly did exist in in at least by the seventies or eighties or whatever. So. Um, yeah, I don't know who they are. But if I just say one other thing, you, you know, you mentioned this sort of wokeness and DEI stuff. There is some overlap here because when you look at the NBA and when you look at Hollywood, right, the NBA will put Black Lives Matter all over the court and, yeah. you know, to just throw amazing amounts of money at it. You know, you mentioned the Uyghurs and boy, nobody wants to talk about that. Nobody. LeBron will just tell us we're we're not well educated about the issue. You know, right. if we want to stand up for Hong Kong or Taiwan and their independence, yes. LeBron decides, well, we're just not we're not educated. But he is. He's educated to the tune of billions of dollars that he's raking in with his shoes. That yes. yes and there's <clears throat> there's genocide. And and thank goodness for someone like Ennis Cantor Freedom, a former NBA player. I hope he gets back in. But it's doubtful, given his stance on China and and the attention that he likes to bring to this. I mean, these entanglements I talked about, the NBA is one. Now Major League Baseball is getting involved in China. We have so much manufacturing done over there. And people will just look at you and go, yeah, but Michelle, uh, Dave, um, it'd be really expensive to do all of that elsewhere. But it'd be really expensive not to do it elsewhere. You know what I mean? It's like, how do we how do we begin this disentanglement? Or, or do we? Is it better to keep our enemies closer? No, I, I think we do have to to begin the disentanglement. I mean, the the bet that was made in the early and mid nineties was that as China entered the free market place, it would become liberalized, as if by osmosis, right? As right. if this was just a natural process. China found a way to really foil that. Now, the one thing that we did kind of know we were doing, right? And there were people at the time like Ross Perot and Pat Buchanan who were calling time out on this, was we knew throughout the last 30 years that we were hurting American manufacturing. And we just kept hearing, well, don't worry, there'll be tech jobs, there'll be solar, you know, you'll, you'll install solar panels or, you know, something else will come along, right? We don't actually have to make stuff here. Um, 
And that did make stuff really cheap, right? I mean, the reason that we can walk into Walmart and buy, you know, things that 30 years ago would have would have been much more expensive, much more cheaply is because of China. And I don't, you know, are we willing to make that sacrifice? Um, it'll be hard. It'll be hard because you're, you won't be able to walk into Walmart and pay those kinds of prices anymore. So it's going to take a certain kind of leadership to sell Americans, I think, on this notion that, yeah, this is a sacrifice on your part. Jeans are probably going to cost you double. Uh, you know, T-shirts, are they're going to go up 50 percent. But, you know, I, 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 I think that patriotism in this country and this notion of saving America or protecting what we have is is really fading. Maybe there's some bounce back here, but I don't know. What do you see in that way? You know, I'd like to I'd like to see that sense of patriotism come back because it really has been at the core uh, of the United States for almost all of its existence. And again, I I really do think it is the fact that we, we finally reached that point where nobody could defeat us that that allows you to be introspective in that way, right? That, that allows you to sort of like run yourself down and say, you know, well, boy, maybe we aren't. And, and on some level, there, there, there's value to that, right? There's value to that uh, introspection. But I, I think we have to wake up today and realize when we look at what China did in terms of, you know, unleashing this virus on the world and then being completely unwilling to be transparent about it while millions of people were dying, we have to be able to say the United States wouldn't have done that. The UK wouldn't have done that. Canada and France wouldn't have done that. And, and we can say, yeah, the, our, our way is better. And that's been a hard thing for Americans to say for the past 30 years. It's been hard for Americans to say America is better. American society is better. You're not supposed to say it. You're not supposed to say the West is better. We got to get back to it. A food shortage in America is hard to picture. I mean, imagine going into the grocery store and and not being able to get the food you normally get, milk, eggs, whatever it is. But it could come. It could happen. And what do you want to do? Where do you want to be when that situation arises? Maybe it would be a good idea for you to think about a little backup plan and have a stockpile, of, if you will, of food in your cabinet, in your cupboard, in your pantry, in your basement that you could rely on if something really hits the fan. Well, this is why I'm going to direct you to 4Patriots.com. 4Patriots.com sells survival food. It's stackable. It's easy to make. You can make these meals in 20 minutes. They have breakfast, lunch, dinners. They have everything you could need, and it's hand-packed right in a family-owned facility in the USA. Right now, you can go to 4Patriots.com and use the code Michelle, M-I-C-H-E-L-E, that's one L, and get 10% off your first purchase on anything in the store, and that includes this three-month survival kit. You'll get their famous year-long guarantee after you order, plus free shipping on orders over 97 bucks. Now, they're called Four Patriots because a portion of every sale is donated to charities that support veterans and their families. And we love that. Just go to fourpatriots.com, use the code Michelle, M-I-C-H-E-L-E, and get 10% off. That's the number four, the numeral, fourpatriots.com, code Michelle. Start building your backup plan, your stockpile today. I have this concern that getting back to it is going to take something awful, some awful incident for people to really understand 
just how existential this threat of China is, particularly when you can, can you know, you look at the, the the relationships the Chinese are developing now with with North Korea, with Russia, mm -hmm. with Iran. I mean, this is horrifying to me, absolutely horrifying. And 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 what goes through my mind, David, as I'm talking to you are images of all these young people going, yeah, but they're, it's, we're all the same human race and we're all one world and they're not bad and we were slaveholders and, and, and just this total ignorance of today and yeah. the realities of today, that there is genocide in China, that there is slavery in China. And no, having people incarcerated in the United States of America for breaking a law does not make us and those people maybe are working in prisons. That's not slavery. That's that's a different animal. Am I being too Pollyanna? No. And 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 something really horrible did happen, right? COVID happened. Yeah, COVID happened. And, yeah. and, and what happened when COVID happened? And we started locking down, and half of Americans lost their jobs, and and you know, hundreds of thousands of people were dying, and there was misery and suicide and all this stuff. What were we told by the Democrats and the left? We were told, well, don't don't say it came from China or you're a racist, right? It was the first thing they, they were saying that in March. Stop calling it the China virus, even though we had had German measles, even though this was just sort of what you're supposed to do. I'm Spanish and we had the Spanish flu. I'm, I'm, sure. I'm cool with that. Yeah, no, but you weren't allowed to do it because, well, I mean, you were allowed to do it. But if you did it, you, you were called a bigot. I, you know, at the outlet that I was writing for at the time, we, we absolutely were adamant about doing it. Because somebody had to hold China's feet to the fire here. Um, and uh, unfortunately, nobody did. And, and they still haven't paid any price no. for this. And, and how much do you think, David, that is a function of this president potentially, <laughs> speaking of entanglements, having some entanglements with China, having some sort of relationship with, with China where he cannot have a spine and say to them, this is what you did. This is what we need. And, and you've got to, you've got to cooperate here. Yeah. I mean, look, there, there's, there's no question that, you know, my friends at, at the New York Post, like Miranda Devine and Emma Jo Morris have pointed out an, an insane number of entanglements that Joe Biden and, and his family have with China. <clears throat> uh, you know, do I think China's holding that over his head? In some way, I, I, I can't know that, um, but but it is a fact that those entanglements exist. Clearly, just based on Biden's own language, saying that you know he wants competition, not conflict. Yeah. He doesn't view them as a foe. I mean, that's just not going to cut it anymore. I mean, this isn't you know this isn't Finland over here. Yeah, yeah, it's it's um it's a little bit terrifying to me uh, the extent. So you you mentioned Miranda Devine and, and the other reporters. Reporters who are not so-called reporters, if I may reference a recent hearing uh, in Congress, these are reporters who are doing the work and finding the evidence, and yet they are sort of now the marginalized people in this country who are being called the, the tinfoil hat, you know, pseudo experts. And yet this stuff is there. It's there for us to see. Why won't people look at it? I mean, it's, it's, that's a very complicated and difficult question. And it has to do with the nature of our media landscape, which is so fractured now, right? I mean, 
there were a lot of problems with the old system where you basically had the three major networks and a handful of prominent newspapers and very few gatekeepers who were basically able to say, this is what the news is. This is what the truth is. You know, the good old days of, of Walter Cronkite. Yeah. A lot of that was a myth. A lot of that was a myth, right? You weren't finding out about Kennedy's affairs. There were yeah. all kinds of things. You know what I mean? Yes. There were a lot. But the upside to that situation was that when something like coronavirus happened or when something like, you know, the, the situation with China happens, those gatekeepers were able to get everybody sort of focused in on the same thing. We don't have that anymore. Um, everybody goes to their own sort of preferred outlet. Yes. And so there is no, and look, there isn't an arbiter of truth, right? In an ideal world, I think everybody should be going to competing outlets and, and saying, all right, let me read it from the right. Let me read it from the left and, and, and see where I think it comes in, in the middle. That's probably the best answer because there is no more paper of record. And I don't think there ever will be again. Just a quick anecdote on that. I was in a green room recently and I sat down. It was a Sunday morning and four newspapers were set out on the coffee table. The Washington Post, the New York Post, the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal. And I took a look at each front page and you would think that any major news story in America would probably be on the front page of every major newspaper. They were all different. They, were, yep. they all considered different things. You know, maybe it was over here, but maybe it was the, the full page. You know, it was above the fold, below the fold. And I, I looked at these papers and I thought, I don't know which one of these to read. Um, and a lot of people just don't have time to read more than their their paper of choice or their outlet of choice. And so they read the headlines, believe it, and go on with their day and don't know any better. And I, I don't remember who said an uneducated society is is you know, they're in trouble, but I feel like we're in trouble. And I, I don't know that there's an easy fix to that, except for maybe some new brand of leadership. And, and, and quite frankly, I don't, I'm not even sure where, where that's going to come from. Do, do you see any ray of light here? I'm depressed, David. I'm sorry. I, yeah. I, I, I can have that effect on people when <laughs> I talk about such things. Um, no, and look, I, I, I'm, I'm fairly optimistic. I mean, I, I do. The thing that makes me optimistic about it is that I do think that people are, are coming to understand what you and I are talking about, right? That it's almost like a matrix moment of, oh, just because it's on the cover of the New York Times doesn't mean that it's true. And just because it's on the cover of the New York Post doesn't mean that it's true. And you have to watch things play out and you have to, you know, sort of keep your own counsel. Um, but yeah, that maybe I think you probably hit it with education, you know, like as long as we have schools that aren't producing students who know how to read, um, that's going to be a problem. I, I think it was last week. I think it was the week before, actually, there was an article, I believe it was in the New York Times, and they quoted um, an English professor at Harvard University who said that her students at Harvard uh, struggle to read Nathaniel Hawthorne's The Scarlet Letter. And that that's just because they have a different set of tools and it was written a long time ago. I mean, in my day, we read that in like ninth grade. So I was going to say, I read that in high school. <laughs> you know, uh, and you, you had a thesaurus with you if you needed it and you sure. had a dictionary and you could ask questions. Yeah, yeah. 
So, I mean, it, it's not, it, it's bad enough. In fact, it's very bad that a student who gets into Harvard can't read that book. It's vastly worse that the professor at Harvard is making excuses for this. Oh my God. As if it's, as if it's normal yeah. and, and the way of the future. It's so, yeah, I mean, until that changes, you could put together the greatest newspaper and network, whatever it is in the history of the world, and it's not going to matter. I mean, that, that's got to get fixed first. You've written a lot about diversity education or diversity, equity, and inclusion. Swapped my ease there for a moment, and they're not swappable ease, believe me. Diversity, equity, inclusion. We recently had an incident at Stanford Law where a judge was invited to speak. He was invited, I think, by the Federalist Society there and got heckled and heckled. And we see someone recorded this. We see the video evidence that, you know, they threw epithets at him like, your racism is showing. And some DEI officer stood up and berated him and lectured him for about, I don't know, 10 minutes. And he stood there and took now Stanford University and the dean of the law school, I think, subsequently apologized to him. Yes. But as far as we know, this woman is still the D head of DEI at Stanford Law. And the, the fact is that these students would not listen to another human being in their field. That tells us an awful lot, doesn't it, David? Of course it does. Of course it does. And, and, and the fact that any administrator in that situation would say anything other than shut up or leave. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's, those are, those are the only acceptable answers, right? You want to have a, a, a meeting later and talk about your feelings. I mean, that's stupid, but okay. But, you know, in that moment, it's like be quiet and be respectful or go someplace else. I do think that there are some positive signs that, that DEA may be dying on the vine a little bit. Um, there's been recent reporting that, as Silicon Valley is sort of shedding jobs and stuff, that those are the first to go, right? And and even at some schools and universities, they're starting to question this. You know, and I had a piece about this over at Fox not long ago. And the question I really asked is like, what's the value here, right? And my hook for the piece was the movie Office Space, right? Where the bobs come in <laughs> to do the layoffs. Yes. And I said, well, if the DE, if the DEI officer comes in and the bobs look at him and say, well, what would you say you do here, right? What value do you bring for your $150,000 a year or whatever it is salary? What, what are we getting from you? I, I don't think they have very good answers to that question. I mean, you know, are you making the place less racist? And, and maybe they say, yes, say, well, is the place less racist? They'd almost certainly say no. Well, they'd have right? to say no in order to keep their job. Right, exactly. So, so, so. What exactly would you say you do here? And I think that more uh, people in leadership in our corporations and hopefully in our universities are coming to understand that this is a racket and they don't actually do anything other than create more DEI jobs. That, that's really all they do. And it is a racket and it's driving up the cost of college, which is making Joe Biden want to, re you know, relieve more students of their debt. And which other people don't want to pay for. I mean, it just feels like a mess, David. It feels like a freaking mess. And I just wonder before I let you go, what you think of these recent moves by the president to sign off on the Willow project for, you know, uh, mining, dr drilling, whatever, uh, looking for, for fossil fuels, which was something he said he absolutely wasn't going to do. Um, he's talking about potentially detaining families at the border now, even though we have this rush in El Paso recently. And a couple other moves that it looks like he's trying to sort of 
moderate his tone and move back toward the middle, which he had promised us from the beginning, which we have not seen an ounce of since he took office. It has been full on leftist crap, if I may say so. And mm-hmm. it, and now he's sort of trying to manipulate his way back. Does this what is a signal to you? Well, first of all, it signals that that he's almost certainly running for re-election, which which I think even three or four months ago was was still uh, you know a bit up in the air. I think that the, the Biden administration. I, I never like to credit too much to Biden because I've never been sure how much of this stuff is actually his idea. Right. Um, um, unlike a Donald Trump or even a Barack Obama, quite frankly. Um, but I, I think the idea here is they're going to try to tell the far left of the party, look. We banked all these wins for you, right? We we got you student loan, you know, debt relief. We, you know, we 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 got you like you know some of these other things. So give us the benefit of the doubt, you know, as we head into the election, and we have to pivot a little back towards the middle. Now, the signal that that ought to send to actual moderate Democrats and actual moderate independents is that he's doing the same thing to you. And so he'll give you the, the, the little oil pipe, the little oil <laughs> drilling in Alaska right now. But rest assured, if, if you let that convince you to give him four more years, that's going to be four years of AOC's priorities, not yeah. yours. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. He's doing this now to buy votes as he's done throughout. Mm-hmm. And then people go, oh, but see, look, he is moderate. No, no, his administration is not moderate. It's just not, folks. And so he, you're right. He may placate a few people with these moves, try to get them on his side. But if he wins re-election, we are right back to this destructive crap. And I just hope people open their eyes to that. And, and I think you're helping, David Marcus. Well, I, I really do. You can find him on Twitter at Blue Box Dave. It's one of my favorite Twitter handles of all time. And we love having him as a guest. David, thank you so much. Thanks, Michelle. Thanks for listening to Sideline Sanity. Don't forget, as always, I'll say it till I'm blue in the face. Be brave and do good. Thanks for listening. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here. Here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. Salemnow.com.